the first pick in the 2007 NFL Draft. The Oakland Raiders select quarterback Demarcus Russell. So while Goff may be something of a financial burden now, he's going to be a financial luxury in a couple of years. Happy Bollywood Day! Yay! Today is the day the Mets paid their oldest player. He is 53 years old. He doesn't even suit up anymore. I bought newlyweds an elephant for their room. They said, thank you. I said, don't mention it. The <laughs> elephant in the room. Don't mention it. And there it is. Joey with another amazing dad joke. Uh, this is Josh and Joey back for episode number four of the Unfiltered Underdogs. Uh, this week or this month, whatever we consider these things, the frequency, uh, back with the most feared athletes versus the top financial fears. This should be an interesting one of how we make a combo <laughs> out of this one. So, uh, Joey, you kind of want to give a little bit more context to the this month's topic? Yeah, so in terms of athletes who were feared, I mean, not just physical fear, as some of you will see that some of them were actually fearing for their lives, but in other terms of different, we try to bring in different sports and, and see how maybe coaches and other players and other teams may have feared them for other reasons and just comparing them to, as Americans, there's a lot of fears that we all have with our finances. So figuring out a top six, we did it. We couldn't narrow it down to five and we thought 10 may be too much. So six is that perfect uh, middle. So the only podcast with a top six. The only <laughs> premiere. Um, so one of the people on our list I'm interested to talk about, but um, I think I mentioned it to you at lunch, I can kick his ass, so it's obviously not all about physical fear. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but we will get there. Um, although many of you might disagree, he still might kick my ass. <laughs> um, so, all right. So uh, do you want to start off with the fears or the list or a combo? How are we doing this? So I think we're going to go and just, these are in no particular order. We just kind of went through, picked six athletes and... The six financial concerns should be pretty common for everyone, but in terms of feared athletes, we kind of took it, based it around different sports for different reasons. Well, I think we wanted to include as many sports as we can, uh, just for our, our, our audience out there, just to figure out whether you're the hockey fan, the football fan, the baseball fan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just trying to figure out, um, that way you've got a link to this episode for the most part. Um, I think you came up with a pretty interesting list, but... Like you said, in no particular order, because I mean, I honestly think if we tried to organize this list, there might be some fights. <laughs> we'll figure out who in the office is the most physically feared. <laughs> so let's get into it then. We'll start with with a with a hockey player. His name was Ron Hextel. Name is Ron Hextel. Former hockey player. It's still his name. <laughs> never changed. Played 13 seasons for the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders. Now serves as the GM for the Penguins. Now I know you're thinking, oh, all hockey players are tough, right? They they get into fights all the time. Um, except this guy was the goalie. So <laughs> it's definitely not as common. He won the Vizina Trophy in his rookie season. When I tried to do some research on him, the first video that popped up was Ron Hextel violence. <laughs> so I knew then he had to be on the list. Um, hundreds of minutes in the penalty box and in multiple seasons. He has the all-time penalty minutes for goalies at 569. Um, and in the 89 playoffs, you can actually find a lot of videos of him fighting, but someone scored on him and he skated out of the crease and chased after him because of his celebration. So you don't see it as often these days, but that's Ron Hextley's on our list. 
with my uncle being such a avid Islander fan, I'm really shocked that I don't know this guy because I feel like this guy would be my best friend. Um, <laughs> kind of like a, in the baseball days with the the home run celebra- celebration. Wow, I can't speak. Um, and then the beam to the back for the next 95 mile an hour fastball. Love to see if this guy just take a hockey stick and just go complete just all baseball and just kill you with things. I'm, I'm sure in Ron Hextel violence on YouTube, you could find one of those clips. <laughs> Reminds me of that crazy minor league baseball player. You ever remember that? Where the guy uh, striped drop three kicked and he drop kicked oh the catcher. Oh my God, I forgot that existed. Like when you were describing Ron, I'm like, I, I, I hope he's a kinder guy in person, more like a teddy bear. But like, that's all I, ca- I kept thinking of is like, that level of intensity of like, don't cross Ron. <laughs> well, I hope he's changed now that he's the GM because I imagine he gets on skates with his suit on from the from the press box, <laughs> comes running down because you you started misperforming on the on the ice. I just want to know like where he ranks all time, not all time for just goalies, but all time penalty minutes for just like players. Like think about it. Like I'm looking at 569 minutes and I'm thinking to myself, going, it'd be insane if that was like in the top, I don't know, 50 of all time. He's a freaking goalie. <laughs> that would be insane. Um, but we'll come back to them. So, uh, so where do you want to begin? Because I think what we'll do is a one and one. Is that how yeah. you wanted to do it? So there's there's the athlete, obviously hockey player, goalie, a lot of fights, and comparing that to a financial fear many of us have, um, having an unplanned emergency cost, whether that's health related, like medical cost from getting your ass beat by Ron Hexel. See, perfect, <laughs> right there. Especially if you don't have insurance. <laughs> like. Good thing hockey players carry insurance. If that guy was still on the ice today, man. Think about the sports center not top 10 for the poor individual on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so for non-hockey players, how would you build this into a financial plan, right? Someone comes in to see you. They want to plan for this emergency cost. Or let's start with if they don't have a plan. Well, I think when most people come to see a financial advisor or they're thinking at home, whether they're the do-it-yourself type of individuals, a lot of people, until that first unplanned event kind of occurs, most people don't really know how to respond. And I think one of the biggest things that we're trying to teach uh, the younger generations as when starting to invest is you're not going to be able to plan for every single unplanned event, but having a strategy and having some kind of money set aside or at least like i said the game plan which is probably even the more important thing of like okay what happened because you don't know is the unplanned event going to cost you a thousand dollars or is it going to cost you ten thousand or is it going to be god forbid medical bills that are 50 to a hundred thousand hopefully hopefully not hopefully you got some insurance that will cover those types of things uh, at that egregious level but i think you have to understand where the vulnerabilities lie and i think for not only ron on this list but all of them they pry on the vulnerabilities of their competitors. And that's kind of where financial fears creep in. It's like when you're less sure of yourself saying, you're like, oh, I don't know if I need to have a three-month safety net if I if something happens or a six-month or I don't really know the cost of what a new roof or a new uh, HVAC system would cost. That's usually where the fear starts to kind of creep in is the better off informed you are the better off you're going to most likely deal with it. Um, and, and a lot of our jobs, people think like, oh, it's always about performance. A lot of times it's just putting ducks in a row and getting people to understand that, okay, if this event occurs, here's how we're going to handle it. If this occurs, here's how we'll handle that. And when people kind of know 
obviously no one has an um magic eight ball to tell them what's going to happen but if you can kind of if you can kind of foresee some events hopefully that don't happen but if they were to unfold and you're like okay well the majority of the ones that i can kind of see maybe happening i've got i've got a realistic and very very um good plan for it's going to give you the confidence to know that this should no longer be a fear it's something that i can tackle so let's say i'm a prospect i come to see my advisor um and I walk in and I want to know what should my rainy day fund look like? What, what, what types of questions should I be asking myself to come up with that conclusion? See that I don't think you need to come see an advisor for that, but I think like one of the things that we do for, for the members that walk through our doors is just understanding your situation. It's like, okay, a rainy day fund for somebody who is in a townhome and is, let's say a nurse lives in a townhome. And I use that very intentionally because in, in today's world, a nurse has a very secure job. Not saying you can't lose your job, not saying that something can't happen, but the likelihood that you're going to be able to find a new job, probably more realistic in finding that job in a month or two, if not sooner, than the, than the tech professional who just got laid off from a Fortune 500 tech company that's probably going to be sitting on the sidelines three to six months. So plus also knowing an, um, you still have to fix your HVAC, but your roof is covered most of the time. Uh, with a townhome. That type of person needs a much smaller rainy day fund than somebody who is an executive or a tech professional, let's say, owns their own home, they buy an older home, roof is 20 years old, HVAC is 10 years old. For somebody who in those situations are like, oh, I have some vulnerabilities. And those are really the things that you want to ask yourself is where are those vulnerabilities in your financial plan? Um, perfect example is probably my business partner, even though we were planned for it. Uh, guy has some really crappy luck. I think the dishwasher went, the HVAC system went, there was a leak in the roof, and he lives in a 20-year-old home or somewhere 15-year-old, whatever the heck it is. But it's just like, he knew these things were coming and had a game plan for them. It just would have been a little nicer had they not all happened at once. <laughs> uh, but they did. And But knowing that each one of them was a vulnerability to his current financial situation understanding of being able to earmark, understanding where to raise capital, where can I take, when do I need to take a loan? Hopefully I don't, but where could I? Or how much do I want in that rainy day fund? Or if I do need to tap investments, hopefully they're, hopefully they're the furthest thing from retirement and their brokerage account, non-qualified assets. But he knew where all the avenues he could get money to make sure that he could cover this. And then it would have the least or smallest impact on the household as possible. So I think, and that's the hardest thing is when it's the impact on the household, that's where you can easily tell. And if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, now I understand that my situation is different. A young married couple who just bought a brand new home where it's under warranty for that first year is different than someone who's got four kids, uh, stay at home mom, and there's vulnerabilities like the HVAC system, uh, the roof, things like that happen to my business partner. So knowing what those vulnerabilities are key right awesome thanks for explaining that and ron hextel stay away from him i was gonna say i, I didn't have someone come slash me with a goalie stick that would have made unplanned. that uh <laughs> my retort a lot harder <laughs> all right moving on to our second athlete and the only active player on the list and this is someone who probably not feared for his physical attributes He's not going to beat the living crap out of you. 
20 seasons in the NFL and counting. We're talking about Tom Brady. Um, played college at Michigan, over 90,000 passing yards, 650 passing touchdowns in 344 games, seven-time Super Bowl champ, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time league MVP, list goes on and on. And even a poll, The Athletic ran in 2019. 2019, he's, in, he's already in his 40s. Defensive players, anonymous defensive players, listed him as still the most feared quarterback. You want to take a breath now? Yes. As you run through that laundry list of Long <laughs> accolades. Um, although I was thinking, where, where you come back to the, here's the emotional fear versus the physical fear. I still remember his 40-yard dash. I I, I tore my, uh, my knee, my patella tendon, and I was like, it's about the only time Tom Brady would have caught me. Just, I could just, get away from Tom Brady. If you're listening, take your take your phone out, whatever, do a stopwatch, and let that thing go to like 15 seconds. That's how long it took him to finish. No, it was like oh, it was definitely over five seconds. We could probably look that up. I'm pretty sure in today's game there are many offensive linemen that who have that, oh, better for 40 sure. times. For sure. Even back then, I mean. 5.28. 5.28. My God. You know he's never had that much time in the pocket. <laughs> it's true. So good. So what? What we're basically saying is Tom Brady isn't rushing Tom Brady. <laughs> and I hate this. I really do. I mean, I'm from Connecticut. I, I'm a Lions fan, Detroit Lions fan. I lived in Michigan, watched Barry Sanders' last game, and living up there during this time is very difficult because you just have Patriots and Giants fans, and they all just battle with one another about who's better. Eli beat Tom twice, but you see the dynasty of the Patriots, and you you, you got to respect Brady, but definitely a feared quarterback. Yeah, I mean, there's no way about it. I mean, there's no argument, really. I mean, I forgot who I was talking about, uh, talking with about this. Was if you look at the number of Super Bowls, obviously over the last 20 years, that'd be 20. <laughs> but who has won them? More importantly, and he accounts for what a, um, seven of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you throw in the Mannings, we're at 11 right there. Over half the Super Bowls since he's been in the league belong to him. Eli or Peyton. So obviously when we're talking about the upper echelon of quarterbacks and the messed up part is he's got three more than the Manning household combined. And there was three elite quarterbacks in that conversation just to show you how impressive as much as that pains me to say, but how impressive his accomplishments and accolades really are. Anytime you've won that many Super Bowls, because remember he's a seven time Super Bowl champion how many times has he lost the two to Eli? That's it. And he I think, lo- um, I think it's only two he lost. I thought he was a. I thought he lost a third. No, I probably making stuff nine. up. That's wishful thinking. I'm sorry, folks. I'm thinking that was nine total. He's been in. Well, going back, so so what you're telling me is. He's been and, in nine out of 20. And to do it with different receiving classes, different coordinators, different, like it's not like he had something consistent throughout it all. Bill Belichick? Besides Belichick. Well, he's lost three, it looks like. Oh, who's the other Ooh. one he lost to? Philadelphia, was it? Yep. Oh, Nick Foles. Wow. Not going to hear that very often in a list of yeah, fear quarterbacks. That's going to be on a, some trivia, so <laughs> listen to this. If you want to know trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you, if you're listening... And you are on Jeopardy, and you have to mention the two quarterbacks that beat Nick Foles Brady, and Eli that Manning. beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, Eli Manning, and Mr. Nick Foles, who might actually is he fighting right now for the quarterback position in Jacksonville? I would imagine. 
All right, we got to move on. He's in his 40s, but yeah. So Nick Foles, not a feared So this this is probably not one of Tom Brady's most financial concerns is a lack of retirement savings. Being the breadwinner might be his concern. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, of all the accolades, being a breadwinner is not one of them, surprisingly. No. But this is something that I think we hear a lot. It's... I think it's very common that people have this and and not even really knowing maybe their how their company benefits may not be sufficient enough to get them to retirement. Well, I, I think I think you bring up a huge point there is I think the the reliance on many people just to take advantage of a 401k match, which is a very good thing. And one of the first, if not the first thing you should do um, is take advantage of that 401k match. But I think too many people rely on that as the only vehicle for savings um, for retirement purposes. And I think so many people have gotten into that kind of mindset from, because of previous generations of just like, oh, well, we used to, generations before us used to think, oh, I'm going to survive on the pension and social security. And sometimes was, multiple pensions. Exactly. And then sometimes it was, um, sometimes it was um, not the pension, but the 401k and social security. Nowadays with people moving around from company to company to company, it's it, it's really about more, all right, what do I do with that old 401k? Let me roll it over to an IRA. Let me make sure that I'm managing it. Let me make sure that I'm doing certain things that are in my best interest. And I think so many times before, generations would largely leave that outsource to the company they work for. And then they would get there and be like, well, what can I do now? <laughs> and I think that's where it's become a fear. It's because a lot of people wouldn't pay attention and then they get there and they're like, oh, I insufficiently prepared for retirement now the fear is starting to creep in where ironically that doesn't have to be a fear like a lot of the other things on this list i can see people just by the nature of unplanned events like we talked about the unplanned emergency cost those are things that might creep up that are going to be out of your control the lack of retirement savings regardless of what you make as long as you live within your means and you understand how to properly plan you can get there right so what are some strategies I can, I know you just talked about living within my means, so obviously having that excess cash flow. What, what can I be doing with that excess cash flow to add to matching my 401k? Well, I think one of the biggest things is nowadays, since you don't get any real benefit from having a, a safety net sitting in the bank, is if you're comfortable and your risk tolerance allows it, take some of that and maybe put it in a brokerage account and invest it. Because a lot of those unplanned events, unless you're... <laughs> in my business partner situation, they're not gonna hit you all at once. So the need for capital and the risk that you're willing to take with that capital, you can eventually get some more bang for your buck. So that'd be one thing. But, but even if you don't want, we there's enough conservative people out there that just say, hey, I want all of those unplanned or as many of those unplanned events, I want them just earmarked, here it is in savings. Once you get there though, then you should just be almost hand over fist trying to put as much away as you can without really decreasing your lifestyle i tell people you can't live for tomorrow but you can't always just live for today as well you've got to find that appropriate balance and one of the things that people i don't think do a good enough job of is when i get a raise it's like all right if I'm trying to put 15% of my savings away to retirement and then non-retirement as well, but 15% of my income, when my income goes up, I should probably take 15% of the increase mm -hmm. as well 
or an appropriate amount. Sometimes you can it could be more than that, but it probably shouldn't be less than that. But that would be one thing that I would tell people. That's kind of a a mindset to get yourself in. Therefore, you're living within your means. Unfiltered Underdogs is sponsored by Triangle Transitional Network, also known as TTN, a networking community based out of North Carolina that helps individuals find work through relationships. Go to www.triangletechnet.com to learn more information about the facilitators and upcoming events. Perfect. Let's get back to the list of athletes after that one. We're going to go to the Diamond next. And we're going to go to Barry Bonds, 22 seasons with the Pirates and the Giants, seven, seven-time National League MVP awards, 12 Silver Slugger awards, 14 All-Star selections, holds the records for most career home runs, most home runs in a si- single season, 73, most career walks, and eight Golden Gloves. Um, in 2004, he had the most walks in a single season with 232, career of 626 walks over his, it's a lot of walking, with 350 coming in two out situations. And this is my favorite one. In 1998, he joined an elite class of hitters when he was walked with the bases loaded. Barry Bonds. So obviously here, he was feared so much at the plate that pitchers would just rather let him get a base, which is unheard of when you, when you think about it nowadays, giving away free bases. Well, I think it goes back to you first got to talk about situational baseball. I, I don't mind giving up a base to a power hitter who, especially later in his career, wasn't the base runner he was. Uh, you got bases empty. You're up by a few runs or maybe even just one run. Putting a, putting a batter, especially with one or two outs already, um, keeping a double play potentially if it's one out or less, a double play in order. I don't mind giving someone a pass. Uh, generally speaking, when the best hitters of all time, the Ty Cobb best batting average at 366, I'm not inclined to walk someone with the bases loaded. That's just utter lunacy to me. And... I know they walked him with the bases loaded a lot during the campaign when he hit uh, 73 home runs. Um, not only just that campaign, just I, I think he, well, like you said, what is it? Uh, most walks in a season at 232. Do you understand that there are players who come up that don't have 232 plate appearances <laughs> in a season, let alone 232 walks in a single season? It's just, it's mind boggling to say the least. Um, but I could see it's just like it, during that time, not accusing Barry Bonds of doing steroids, but the head got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, let's just say the LBs increased. <laughs> and we're not talking linebackers here. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he went from being just a phenomenal hitter to begin with, regardless if you believe or don't believe, or even if he even if he was on steroids and you took that out of the equation. I mean, long before he was still one of the very best hitters to ever play the game, and then just got naturally better over time. And even though steroids might make you help or might help you hit the ball further, he still knew how he, he still got to hit the ball, and he was so good at it that uh, he definitely elicited fear. If you had runners on base and you're trying to get out of a jam, the last player you wanted to see was Barry Bonds. And we're talking about intentional walks here, right? Not that he just had a great eye 
and you know some balls may have come across the plate and he got a good call he more than doubles Albert Pujols who has th- 315 intentional bases on balls is the second all-time in MLB history with intentional walks that's insane I'm trying to think of words to sit here and talk about that. And, and I mean... It's a nice day of the job. Just sitting there. Just, he should just be thankful. That man... Think about how boring that would be as one of the best all-time hitter if he didn't also play the field and he was in the American League. He played for the Giants and the Pirates. Uh, and if you think about it, if he had a DH and he got it walked, like there's probably plenty of games where he walked four times in a single game. And be like, what'd you do today? Well, I walked down to first, and then I was just hoping someone else would hit the ball so I can at least go to the next base. <laughs> Definitely fear nonetheless. And now we're going to go down to the financial side. And this is something I think not even financially driven, but things humans in today's society fear in general, losing a job. Uh, losing a job. That's a tough one. Um, you can start with benefits. If you and your spouse and your your insurance is covering the family and your income is covering the family, and then I mean, obviously, there you can have you can go to Cobra, but it's it's definitely something people fear for that reason. Well, I think it kind of touches back to the first one. It's a it's unplanned. No, I mean I know some people walk into a job and say, "All right, um, I'm going to step away." So it's not, I mean, you're still losing your job and I'm not, and I'm saying there are people who step away without actually having the next one lined up just because it's, whether it's a toxic culture or something of that nature, therefore, but those people generally have a very good sense and a plan because it's not unplanned, it's planned and they they can see it coming. But for those that get hit at a left field with um, a job loss, it's kind of like, okay, what now? And it usually takes people at least a week or so to kind of get the emotional, um, falling out of that in order to be able to make some wise financial decisions. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can give advice. When you lose your job, don't rush into any decision. I, I know it feels like I got to do something. I got to do something. What's my safety net? And usually the people who panic are those the ones who don't have a plan in the first place. But those who do generally can take that step back, take a deep breath and go, okay, now how do I want to approach this? Uh, because of all the things that we have on the list of our top six, <laughs> um, I would say losing the job is probably the most emotionally stressful of the group um, because it's everything. I mean, in, until you're in retirement and your retirement savings are accounting for your monthly expenditure, your earned income is how the overwhelming majority of Americans put food on the table. Right. I hate when athletes say, I got to take this raise or I got to get this bonus. I got to feed the family. Well, we're not talking about those people here. We're talking about everyday Americans who uh, who really are struggling sometimes to, to put food on the table. So um, that's kind of how I would, I, I think one of the biggest things that we don't touch upon enough is just goes back to mindset. I think getting people in a right mindset and, and comfortable with talking about the idea of finance and not looking at it looking at it uh, from a taboo perspective is probably the biggest hurdle and a fear that's not on this list, but it encompasses all of them, is just being able to have the conversation so you can properly plan. That's a good point. We're going to switch gears to a different sport. Josh might argue that it's not a sport, but 
No, no, this is a sport. No, no, no. This one is a sport. Okay. You, you can't do that to the audience and not give them my definition. It's a later date for t- TBD. <laughs> the next athlete is Dale Earnhardt. So, I mean, his nickname is the Intimidator. So it was hard not to put him on the list of most feared athletes of all time. Um, over 76 Winston Cup races and seven Winston Cup championships, which is a record he ties and holds with two other drivers. Um, some quotes, if he couldn't go around you, he'd go through you. So I don't know much about NASCAR, but that sounds pretty fearful. <laughs> Doesn't sound safe. Let's just put it that no. way. So I'm not going to touch. Well, that is to be determined, but I will give my controversial take on uh, what's a sport versus a competition and the parameters on another episode. Uh, but just so I don't piss off anyone, we are in the South. Everything on this list I do consider a sport. I don't need NASCAR fans emailing me going, uh, buddy, we need to talk. <laughs> it is a sport. Calm down, folks. <laughs> and we'll move on. Uh, but talk about a legend. Talk about truly fearless. That was Dale Earnhardt. I, I mean... I've watched a few documentaries on Dale, and one of the things that I always took away is kind of the whole reason why, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Mm. Um, safety was never a paramount paramount um, concern of his. And, and generally, all of the players uh, or athletes on this list and some of the ones that we were deciding if, how do we put them on, like some of the honorable mentions we'll get to, safety generally can't be when you're an intimidator. I don't think Ron... Uh, uh, Hextall was really concerned about his own safety when he decided to chase that player down the ice. Um, I don't think Barry Bonds was afraid of the ball. Right. And, <laughs> and I don't think even though Tom Brady is being constantly harassed by defensive ends, I don't think that man fears um, those individuals. And I, I, I think that's kind of why most of these people are intimidators, especially Dale, is just because when you can kind of push that fear off to the side it, it's almost empowering right and i'm going to quote famed athlete and colleague ricky bobby here if you ain't first you're last i think that's just how he <laughs> that was his driving style very aggressive <laughs> that was a joke for if anyone hasn't seen talladega nights <laughs> 10 out of 10 recommend <laughs> um what did he get on rotten tomatoes <laughs> probably like a 2.5 <laughs> Well, well, from Rotten Tomatoes, but not from the audience. <laughs> that's that's my capacity of NASCAR knowledge, Talladega Nights, the movie, whatever that's in that. That's how I think NASCAR works. So anytime that we find a, a topic, we're definitely bringing in a guest. <laughs> um, I was always wondering why your research on, on all the athletes, this is, this is where it kind of plateaued. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're not going to get a breakdown on how to draft um, – on a NASCAR track from Joey Arwin. I mean, I don't participate in fantasy NASCAR where I have a fantasy draft and we go through and make teams, so <laughs> not on my priority list, unfortunately. Now, now, now I'm kind of curious. Is there actual fantasy NASCAR? It's got to be nowadays. Dra- between DraftKings and all the other competitors trying to make some money. We got to look this up. Someone told me there was the Fantasy Olympics, and I'm thinking to myself going, I don't know anyone. How the hell are you going to draft? I'm like, am I going to draft the... Um, the ping pong player? <laughs> like, I mean, like, there's fantasy college football now. Yeah, there's fantasy Well, I kind of get that because, like, the most... I don't know how to say that, but I guess the most popularized fantasy sport out there is football. Mm-hmm. So correlating that to college and now how 
the NFL draft has become so popularized by the NFL, you almost have to know co- collegiate athletes. So that makes sense. I did college baseball, not I mean not college, but um, fantasy baseball this year. And if that was brought to the college game, count me out. I, I barely have the the capacity to hang in there. And, and to be honest, the only reason I'm caring about fantasy baseball this year around is because I picked up around the All-Star break and was like, ooh, my teams are in first. <laughs> Had they been in last, I probably would have given, um, well, I won't use that language, but you get the intent of how many I would care. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, getting back to Dale, obviously a feared driver, very intimidating. Um, fortunately, did pass from a crash and kind of linking to a financial concern many families and couples have is a death or loss of you know a primary breadwinner especially if it is a single income household well i think the loss of the breadwinner it, it i mean it obviously it emotionally takes a toll on any family out there but i think the taboo topic that becomes fearful it's more or less than the I struggled. When you brought this to the list, I I struggled with it, not from the fact that it's not a fear. It's where does the fear come from? So one of the things that I was trying to look up when you brought this and I saw the list and once we condensed it, uh, because it is a true fear, but I wanted to learn more about what were the underlining causes or the, I don't want to say rationale, but maybe the irrational thought behind this as a fear. And what it generally stemmed from was people's inability to share the responsibility of a household between breadwinner and non-breadwinner or even if they're co-breadwinners sharing the responsibility of finances so many married couples or non-even married couples but let's say they're domestic partners for instance usually there's one of the two that end up being the driving decision maker for the household when it comes to finances if that person's the one that passes away, there's a lack of education. There's a lot, there's a huge stumbling block of ignorance to be able to fill that void and know what to do. And what happens is when the household is prepared even and the breadwinner passes away, who has the relationship with the trusted professionals mm. to help them make a difference? And one of the things that was glaring and stood out to me was so many people know in this world that insurance companies are all about making money. Doesn't matter if they're car insurance, doesn't matter. Probably not getting sponsors now that I say this. But, uh, I'll uh, take life the sponsors. Insur- <laughs> uh, life insurance, the, the insurance. But that's fair. They're a business. They're designed to be in money. But it's not really the fault of the insurance companies, but it's a lot of times the people that they hire, those sales ag- agents end up making it a very difficult process. And people are either underinsured or overinsured. Very rarely do we find somebody who has the proper amount of insurance or understands what insurance they even need that fits in with their financial plan? And a lot of times it's because they don't want to be sold stuff. This isn't the 20s, 30s, and 40s, whatever, where we're going door-to-door, or even the 50s and 60s for that matter, where door-to-door salesmen were probably at its peak. People don't like to be sold things anymore, and that's still how the nature of the insurance agencies or insurance industry, I should say, works. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why this becomes such a, uh, a fearful factor is equating what to do in this event. And a lot of times the probability of that event happening is so minimal to begin with, but we know it happens because think about how many millions of Americans live in this country that it just doesn't feel like it could happen to them. So when it does occur, you have somebody who's usually 
stuck between a rock and a hard place, unfortunately. Right. And you touched upon it. And I think it, it could come down to a lack of planning or just a lack of education, right? Because especially if that breadwinner is a do-it-yourself financial planner and, and they've done they've, they've created the plan, the estate plan's there, but then something happens along the line, the other spouse is left with everything and there's no trusted contact and that's where these people get taken advantage of. Yeah, and, and then that taking advantage of, that's kind of, think about it, it's like very rarely do people leave positive reviews, but they're, they're always willing to leave a negative review because we expect a good experience, but we absolutely despise a negative experience and that's what people end up reading. So rather than actually take the necessary steps, it's, it's just one of many hurdles that someone has to overcome. And what ends up happening is so many people just continuously, continuously neglect the responsibility of that proper planning and continuously push it down until it's too late. Unfiltered Underdogs is also brought to you by Family Legacy Financial Solutions. With a 95% retention rate among members, this will be the last introductory meeting you'll ever need to have with a financial advisor. Family Legacy Financial Solutions. Life's journey begins and ends with family. Call 919-379-9000 to set up a complimentary consultation. So getting back to the list of athletes, this is one um, our hometown state listeners will or enjoy listening to based out of North Carolina. Michael Jordan. I mean, if you didn't watch The Last Dance at this point, watch it. Great documentary. Um, you know, he took a lot of things personally. It seemed to happen a lot. And that's why a lot of players, not only players, his teammates feared him. Um, I'm not even going to get into the accolades. I mean, I will be here all day. Same with Brady. Um so what you're saying is you're long-winded already. So yeah. uh, if you want to know Michael Jordan and you don't know him, <laughs> use the wonderful invention of Google. <laughs> I mean, he was so intimidating. Like I said, his teammates feared him. Um, but that's why they won. He, he demanded greatness. Um, he punched Steve Kerr, you know, coach, used to be a player, in the face for, quote, not practicing hard enough. And this Rightfully deserved. This story, <laughs> these are not my words when I get to the quote. These are Michael Jordan's quotes. <laughs> Um, for those of you who don't know, Muggsy Bogues, um, he was a point guard, played in the NBA. Um, in a game against the Hornets, where who uh, Muggsy played for, had the ball. They were down one. Um, Jordan was guarding him, backed off a little bit, and said, quote, shoot it, you effing midget. Um, he missed the shot and later told coaches and, and teammates that he, he believed that single play ruined his career because his shot never recovered from it. A little bit intimidating. Imagine if he said that on to, on the court today. The press and the backfire. Like, I look at a lot of these athletes that we have on this list. The stuff they did was stuff of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You, you couldn't get away with this stuff today. There's a documentary coming out, I think, on Netflix about the malice in the palace that I can't wait to watch because, I mean, they were, they were fighting fans. I do. And that was that. early 2000s. Shout out Detroit Pistons, early 2000s, 19. <laughs> but agreed. Nowadays, uh, it'd be tough to So is there trivia recover. they say how many rows deep did, uh, what's his name, go? Test. <laughs> to fight that He got edge. up there. It wasn't the nosebleeds, but he got up there. <laughs> he got a stair stepper in. <laughs> it was funny. I, I remember watching that. I don't know if it was live or it was on the Sports Center uh, 
the highlights afterwards because they just replayed that and replayed that. Obviously, they were too afraid to put it in Sports Center's not top ten, but that's exactly <laughs> where it belonged. Um, but I just remember wherever I was watching it, whether it was live or the replay, I just remember my uncle looking at me going, "Man, there's no way I would have taken that much effort to go after that fan. That's way too far up there." Yeah, but obviously, if you watch the last dance, we're not gonna beat a dead horse here with why Jordan was so feared. I mean, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, demanded greatness was great all the jazz and go ahead I was gonna say you probably want to give a little bit of context not just to Michael Jordan but to all of these guys so when you get to that level there is something that's just not wired correctly with you like everybody on this list including Tom Brady who is probably the only one who's not to a certain degree physically imposing but think about how they became such accomplished individuals, that in itself is almost fearful. Think of just successful people in general from a physical stature or an emotionally stature. And usually it accompanies with someone that normal people would say there's a screw loose with that individual. Say, usually it's a lack of emotion. And it's a sense of uh, perfectionism that many can't comprehend. I think they can comprehend it. I think it comes back to or, or maybe you are right. Maybe con- the the lack of comprehension is the way to say it, but it's more to do with like when they see the time and energy and the 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 grind that goes with that. So most people would look at that and say, "I can do something else that is more rewarding," or "I don't want to put myself through that stress." Whether they consider it a positive stress or a negative stress, that there uh, there's got to be a path of less resistance than that for sure there's definitely sacrifices and a lot of people obviously most people don't want to go through those sacrifices right i mean the time spent perfecting well they're not just art of a sport time sometimes the sacrifice is mugsy himself (laughs) poor guy (laughs) yeah i guarantee you like we're gonna look back at this and you talk about physically imposing i didn't even think to put him on the list but you know that there's a few NFL players that are now etched into history for the wrong reason because Derrick Henry has decided to stiff arm them six feet under. Like, I almost think that that's worse than being posterized. Getting stiff armed? I mean... Well, when you look at Josh Norman, he's completely parallel to the ground and looks like he's being spun around like a helicopter. It's a little bit more intimidating than being dunked on by Shaquille O'Neal, who's already 50 feet bigger than That's where I was going to disagree with you, because if Derrick Henry's stiff-arming a cornerback, that's one thing. When you're dunking on Yao Ming, a little bit more impressive, in my opinion, especially if you're a shorter opponent, like when Kobe dunked on Yao. Dude's already, his head's already at the rim. (laughs) True. I I mean, I give credit to that, but but I look at that and I go, Yao Ming is still not intimidated by Kobe. I mean, he still respect Kobe, but they're two accomplished athletes. Like, Josh Norman is never going to try to tackle Derrick Henry ever again. I mean, look at Derrick Henry's off-season workout videos, and I don't know how people want to even try to tackle him anyway. I just remember, I think it was the Alabama game, is it, where it was Mark Ingram's last year at Alabama, and they, they, they were... T- there for like one of the playoff games or championship games and there was the coin toss and there's Mark Ingram one of the best running backs um not one of the best but a very very accomplished back who is definitely deserves credit um and he looks like talk about a midget he looked like a midget standing next to Derrick Henry 
but I guess enough about Derrick Henry and his lovely stiff arms. Uh, as a Titans fan, I had to throw that in there somewhere. But um, how about Derrick Henry and getting into debt? No, I'm sorry. Those two don't go hand in hand. But <laughs> yeah, definitely another financial fear is not only getting into debt, but the fear of feeling overwhelmed by not being able to get out of it or not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel to get out of debt. So everyone out there, go get your envelopes. Oh, sorry. Um, not going to teach you the Dave Ramsey style. That's not a bad style, but <laughs> uh, that is not the purpose of this podcast. So at least tell them what, what it is. That's fair. Um, so for many people who struggle with the concept, I guess, of credit cards or debt in general, understanding how to properly budget is basically you create certain envelopes for the money that you're going to spend um and when you spend this money you put that money in the envelope and once it runs out you're no longer going to spend that until you get the that 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 bucket of money gets rejuvenated next month when you get paid again i think Um, the idea that is to be able to physically see the money and understanding how much you are spending and i think that's one of the biggest things that why two things that i think are value adds to members that come through here, but value adds to people when searching online. Compounded interest and physically holding money. Those two things are something that we don't get in society anymore. It was easy in the 20s and 30s where (laughs) you wanted to go buy something, you had cash or change to go do it. So when you ran out of it, it was obvious to tell. It's like, do I want that or do I, or do I want to wait? The decision making process was a very visually oriented. Um, wait, where was Amazon? Oh, you mean back in the twenties? Like, oh, oh, we're not talking about the twenty twenties. We're talking about the nineteen twenties. <laughs> um, yeah, stuff wasn't delivered. It's easier to make decisions. <laughs> yeah, well, it was visual, and I think I I, I don't know where I. I'm not going to quote this or say this is a, a for sure thing or set in stone, but I, I remember someone saying, I don't know whether it was strength finders or one of those Myers-Briggs things. I believe it was something along the lines that they, they estimate close to 80% of people being visual learners. So when you take the physical attribute of money and replace it with just a card that doesn't have that same visual stimulating effect to say, oh, well, this card could mean 10000 it could mean $20. It, 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 its value is changed by the limit and the frequency in which it's used. A $20 bill is a $20 bill. Its value and its look isn't changing unless we decide to put someone else on the face <laughs> of the 20. Um, but other than that, it, it, a $20 bill is a $20 bill. So it's much easier for someone to visualize what am I spending and what is the return for the, for the outlay or cost in which I'm purchasing such item. The visual concept over time in this country has gotten to the point where the visual there's nothing visually stimulating about spending, other than I know this piece of plastic has something and I can easily go swipe. They even think about it. One of the easiest things you could ever do in the world was swipe a credit card, and they made that shit easier. They now made it a touch, or you could stick your card in, and it goes. Please don't remove your card. Now you can remove your card. <laughs> Like they made the swipe easier, which is ridiculous. So if you think about it, that a lot of people need that visual kind of cue to help rein them in for what they're actually purchasing. 
And then the second half of what I mentioned, the compounded interest, that's where things kind of really don't show up because compounded interest is one of those things that it's like, it's almost like on a computer where you know the, the computer's running in the background and, and things are building and there's other stuff than just your your browser that's open. Mm-hmm. That's compounded interest. Is you, see, you don't pay attention to it or you don't seem to notice it until all of a sudden it smacks you in the face. So for our listeners out there who may have this fear of debt, why don't you categorize for them good debt and bad debt? Well, I think there's another category not to, to forget there, and it's neutral debt. Um, I am not a Dave Ramsey fanatic when it comes to debt. He believes all debt is bad, and I, I don't see things that way I because I think if you are responsible, you can use debt as a positive instrument um, in which many, many successful people do so. So I think you have to look at good debt, bad debt, and neutral debt in terms of the debt being acquired, but also how does it how does it make sense to you? Perfect example, a car. Most people in New York, let's say, uh, in the city, can probably use public transportation very reliably and um, very cost-effectively rather than also having to go buy a car. You try to use that same mode of transportation here in the Raleigh-Durham market, Good luck with using our public transportation. It's there, but it is not reliable in the sense that it can get you to enough places. It limit like if you're using it to get to and from a job, you're either going to have to live in a very specific area and take a very specific um, mode of public transportation, the bus route, that are going to come at certain times. And if your job requires you to be flexible, well, guess what's not flexible? Public transportation. Um, so I feel like, but it's still a depreciable asset, a car. So unless it's a a collectible, but generally speaking, it's a depreciable asset. Therefore in North Carolina or in the Raleigh Durham market specifically, it's a neutral debt. It's a necessity for you to do your job, to get kids to and from places. However, in New York, not so much. So it could be classified. So everything doesn't have just a rigid classification. Uh, but I do believe having a, a house is a good debt. It's an appreciable asset, and you're not throwing money month over month away in a rent. And if you can afford it, as long as you're living within your means, I think carrying that debt, especially with interest rates as low as they are now, if you think about it, um, I don't mind carrying debt on my house if it's appreciating by five and I'm paying between two and 3%. I think that's a reasonable expenditure. Uh, I know Ramsey tells people, get it off the table as quickly as possible. I I think compounded interest tells us uh, otherwise to go put that money in your retirement savings, go put it in a brokerage account. Um, If you pay off your house, you're not making a mistake. I just think there's a better alternative. So I think you first need to look at the the instrument of the debt. Is it good, uh, neutral, or bad? And then if it's in any one of those categories, what is the underlining effect to you? Like, Another quick example here is credit card debt. It's obviously negative. But there's a caveat, and this is where it freaks people out. If you're capable of using and using credit like you would Dave Ramsey's envelope method, and you're paying it off and you're spending within your means, use the credit card. And I know he'd probably say, What are you nuts? I'm like, Well, if you're going to give me 5% back, on those transactions because you charge uh, businesses two to 3% for every transaction made. So to your customers, you can reward them with money back, which is basically a savings. You're telling me I can use a credit card and spend exactly the same amount of money 
on a credit card responsibly as I can with the envelope style, but I'm gonna save myself anywhere between one and 5%, the fiscally responsible thing to do is use the credit card as long as you can do it within reason. The problem is most people, because that credit card, as we already spoke on, doesn't have the visual cue of how much you're actually spending. And Dave Ramsey's concept there is the credit card has a bigger downside than it does upside. That's where I disagree because I think people can be more responsible if properly educated. That's a difference of opinion, but there's good, bad, and neutral debt. And you can kind of see how any, even good debt can be upended and turned into a negative. And even negative debt like credit card debt can be used if you don't carry balances in a positive manner. So um, hopefully that gives them kind of a broad generalized overview to just debt and why it's feared, but also how it can be used as a positive. Right. And again, it seems like another reoccurring theme is just lack of education about a lot of financial topics. That is probably the sore lacking um, sticking point that I have with how education or how finance is taught through our education system. I think one of the funniest, but to this gentleman, I obviously won't use his name, but embarrassing stories um, was in my business fraternity, which I also won't mention, so people listening can't go figure out who I'm talking to. Um, he was the president of our fraternity, and, and we all had to send our membership dues to um, the fraternity chapter uh, or main chapter, and we all had to write checks. And we all wrote our check, and sure enough, um, I don't know why most people didn't endorse their check on the front-hand side, but some of us were responsible and understood how to write a check and endorse the front of it. But our president thought that we should endorse the front, but he also signed his name on the back of every single check. <laughs> so something like 150 checks became had to be voided uh, because someone didn't understand uh, how our monetary system worked. And being a 21-year-old president of a business fraternity <laughs> kind of embarrassing yikes uh, but that just goes to show you the lack of education like I, I i forgot who i was talking to the other day and um oh, i was at an alumni chapter up here in the carolinas for uh my alma mater and they were telling a story over there kind of funny it was just like they're talking about a checking uh checkbook and the the record keeping that you do inside of a checkbook how to reconcile your checks and someone's like, what's that? And I'm just like, this country might be screwed. <laughs> I mean, people just so use technology nowadays. It's just not a, not a skill that's taught, I guess, as, as wealth is passed down now. And there's a lot of it coming, so we better figure it out soon or, or, or this country is in a lot of trouble. So the last athlete on the list, if you got to this point with us, you're probably thinking, how could you leave him off? Um, That's why it's a top six. <laughs> Mike Tyson. I mean, he won matches before he even stepped in, into Not the ring. Not feared at all. <laughs> <laughs> he still, I, we can get him in here. Mike, if you're listening, Josh just said that. Josh is currently under his desk, hiding <laughs> in the fetal position. <laughs> 50 wins, 44 by knockout. I mean, some of the most vicious and powerful punches. You could find YouTube clips everywhere. All you have to do... Talk about the power of Google. They even made a joke about it. Think about him uh, in the Hangover movie. <laughs> 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 it 
How old was he when he made that movie? And still has the the right hand that knocked people out. Okay, the first thing that's intimidating is that face tattoo. Which he didn't. I mean, when he was when he was a baby in the game, he didn't eat anything. Obviously, a face tattoo now doesn't help his 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 prominence of in, installing fear in other people. But I mean, oh, it works. A, maybe so. Should Think I not about get someone who's nuts? crazy enough to have that face tattoo we're not talking about a teardrop like he killed someone in prison we're talking about an entire half of the side of your face you've got to be a li- talk about screws loose like we did earlier there the man has his craft but i hope he's not listening because if he is he's coming to kick my ass so <laughs> if you're not recommending i get a matching tattoo as a financial advisor is that what I'm getting out of this? Yeah, choose your number one member and go get a go get matching tattoos. You can put your faces next to each other. <laughs> um, but I think this one's self-explanatory. I, I think if, if if you don't know who Mike Tyson is, go do your homework. <laughs> uh, the stats there or the accolades that you just rambled off are enough to speak for itself. I mean, I don't care. There's enough people out there that are UFC and boxing fans or whatnot. 50 wins is A, impressive for any combat is one. And two, 44 of them by knockout. Like, I don't know the statistics on this, and I believe you are you guys are a little bit bigger UFC fans than I am, but I would say that most fights probably are either by, well, if they're UFC, they're probably technical submissions or they're going the distance. Yeah, it they're depends on the They're probably not but... pure knockouts. Yeah, and... With the gloves on too. I mean, imagine him in an MMA fight with with la- less uh, padding between his fists and your face. I I do not want to imagine that. But Tyson, that's the one time everyone would become a skilled wrestler. <laughs> Tyson rounding off our list of most feared athletes. Just to round him back up: Ron Hextel, former professional goalie; uh, Tom Brady, Barry Bonds, Dale Earnhardt, Michael Jordan, and the most obvious one because of pure fear for your life: um, <laughs> Mike Tyson. And then um, Josh is still under the desk. (laughs) Running up our financial fears. Um, We started off, we talked about unplanned emergency costs, uh, lack of retirement savings, losing a job, death or a loss or even possible divorce, you know, with a primary breadwinner, getting in and more of a fear of getting out of debt. And um, the last one we're going to talk about right now is losing money in the stock market. People do that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, this is. If I had to rank them, this would be number one. I mean, like we said, we didn't put a rank to either the fears or or the athletes, but uh, I think this is probably the biggest one. When I first got into this industry, I was expecting people to have a bigger tolerance for risk in general. I thought the world was more entrepreneurial. Um, that was me being naive when I first broke into the industry. Um, come to find out that people generally fear what they don't know. And there's a lot of obviously unknowns about the stock market. And that's probably why it has the, that's probably why it's one of the largest fears. And one of the fears that's brought up to us most as financial advisors is they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to lose money. And this is one of the reasons why I think we've said it previously, even one of the previous episodes is um, we drew analogies between um, something previously we're talking to and annuities. And the reason they're sold like, hotcakes is largely because they they drive home 
to this exact fear. Yes. Like I, I hate that this industry pries on the fear. So I think one of the reasons kind of to bring this whole uh, discussion full circle is these fears are what insurance companies generally, or not only the insurance company, but mainly the, the agents behind those insurance companies, financial advisors who don't have uh, people's best interest at heart. I mean, look at their marketing. I mean, what, what do you see in the marketing for you know an insurance company? It's all about loss. Loss of something. And, yeah. and not being able to protect that loss. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the Mayhem commercials did it perfectly. Besides liberty, liberty, liberty. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. We can't give away free advertising. <laughs> if we got them, we got to get Flo in here as our guest. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it, I mean losing money in the stock market is the fear it's it's the loss of something and it's just like that's where the annuities that are like oh we can guarantee against loss and that that's the peace of mind that's all that, you gotta say you don't have to listen to anything else yeah you, you don't listen to all the pitfalls you don't listen to the cost the, associated the, the cost you don't listen to the um to how it's not right for you or not being able, your money is not liquid you're stuck in for yeah. x amount of years there, there are so many cons to most things that are product driven is because products are not designed they're designed to solve a problem and your problem always doesn't fit that like a glove and i think one of the biggest issues that i see out there with financial products is they're sold to the masses like they're the one size fits all but they're not they're never made that way because there's n- everyone's situation is so unique and different they can't be geared to the masses at large well, there's probably one term insurance. That's it. That's probably the only one that can be geared to the masses. Uh, permanent insurance has its place. Annuities have their place, but they're not for the masses. And but they get sold like that. And where they pry on is this very concept: losing money in the stock market. Is like you've worked your entire life and getting closer and closer to retirement. It, it, it's almost like another child to most people. It's like, well, this is what we've built. This is what's going to take us from this point to the end of life so we can enjoy time with the grandkids, so we can be empty nesters, so we can leave a legacy behind to our kids. All of these things get basically screwed over if you lose money in the market. And I think one of the biggest things that media has done such a terrible job with, well, they've done a terrible job with a lot of things, Uh, but after the 2008 crash, I mean, they're just constantly prying on fear. 2008 went so hor- horribly wrong for so many Americans, not because the market was so poorly performed. It had to do with the poor performance on top of, po- of people being inappropriately allocated. Uh, and I think that's the big issue. Is just that like if you were 60, 65 years old and had a much more appropriate asset allocation, you would have been hit, but you wouldn't have completely derailed your retirement. And that fear of losing money in the market leads people to do irrational and emotionally stupid things. Right. And you hit on all of them. So everyone has obviously a different level of risk. So assessing your risk is definitely important. And we all have goals we want to hit. And to hit those goals require a certain level of risk to be able to build that wealth, which isn't isn't doing too hot in, this, in a savings account in the bank. Yeah. I, I think one of the next podcasts we talk about one of these days, I want to talk about the concept of sequence of returns going into retirement in the f- first few years 
in retirement, why taking a much more conservative approach to your portfolio makes sense. And it goes back to, I bring up the sequence of returns, even to younger financial advisors, and they're like, what's that? And and it goes back to, I think, the theme of this that unintentionally kind of crept up would goes, it's the lack of education around finances in general as to where these fears come from. Well, you know, we, we hope you enjoyed the fourth podcast of Unfiltered Underdogs with Joey and Josh, uh, where business and pleasure, they, they do mix. They seem to mix well. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. We'll see you next time. Unfiltered Underdogs is a podcast for sports fans and financial fanatics alike. The purpose is to educate and entertain listeners. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell investments.